Welcome to episode two of the Asset Protection Podcast. My name is Wayne Patton. I'm an asset protection attorney, and I'm really excited to be hosting this series. Asset protection is something that is very near and dear to my heart, and I think it's an important subject. And so I'm really looking forward to helping you get very clear and very educated on uh, the what's, how's, and why's of asset protection planning. Um, Today, I want to give a brief recap of episode one, and then I want to talk about the morality of asset protection. I want to talk about the types of asset protection that you already have or how you can get some types of asset protection for free. And then I want to begin applying some of the legal concepts that we began discussing in the first podcast. So a quick recap of episode one. Uh, The first question that we asked is, what is asset protection? And we learned that asset protection is legal planning that is designed to place your assets beyond the reach of future creditors. The second thing we talked about is the types of law that are implicated in asset protection planning. We learned that property law plays a vital role in asset protection planning. Specifically, the idea that property is nothing more than a bundle of rights. And what we're doing when we create an asset protection plan is we're essentially separating out certain rights from the bundle. And we're leaving you with some rights and then we're putting some other rights into asset protection entities. Uh, The second thing we discussed was estate planning. Estate planning is a way to ensure that your legacy is passed on um, in a way that you see fit, in, in a way that lets you take control of what happens after you move out of this life and into whatever comes next. And uh, estate planning is, is a source of asset protection for individual assets, so things that you wouldn't want to put into a business enterprise. And the third area of law that we discussed is business law. This includes corporations, includes limited partnerships, and it includes limited liability companies. And we learned that these types of business entities are great for housing an, a going concern, a, a real business enterprise that generates a profit. But we also learned that there's a key feature to these businesses and these types of business entities, and that is that they allow you to separate control from ownership. They allow for people to manage them that don't necessarily own them, and that's a key feature for asset protection. Today, I want to talk about the morality of asset protection. Uh, Is protecting your assets a, a morally permissible choice? The second thing uh, we're going to discuss is exempt assets. This is asset protection that you already have or asset protection that you can get essentially for free. And the third thing we're going to do is we're going to discuss the application of the three areas of law discussed in the previous podcast, property law, estate planning, and business law. And we're going to see sort of how they work together in a very broad fashion. So let's, let's jump in right now and talk about the morality of asset protection. A lot of people think that it is um, not a moral thing to place your assets beyond the reach of a potential creditor. And my response to that is typically pretty straightforward. Uh, Most of my clients I feel are good people who work hard, who are stimulating the economy and stimulating growth and helping the United States of America be a prosperous country. And My response to people who believe that asset protection is not moral is simply this. 
Why should, let's take the example of a physician. Why should a physician who has spent an entire career helping and healing other people, why should that person be faced with the possibility of losing everything they've accumulated throughout the course of their life because of one mistake? Right? Does, does one mistake outweigh all the good you've done in your life? And the answer to that question is, well, maybe. We just don't know. It, it depends on the mistake, right? But the truth of the matter is that you have no say in whether or not the mistake outweighs all the good you've done. Because a jury and a judge will make that decision. And by the way, it won't be a jury of your peers. If you're a surgeon, if you're a neurosurgeon, it's very unlikely that you're going to get a jury of other neurosurgeons. It's very, if you're a real estate developer, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a panel of real estate developers with your level of expertise and your understanding and knowledge of the industry passing judgment on you. More likely than not, you will have a jury of lay people who, who will make these decisions. And asset protection planning is designed to help you have a say in the process. Because you know what? Maybe you have made a mistake and maybe some damages should be paid, right? Maybe there should be some consequences for what you've done. But I want you to have the option to determine what that should be and what it should look like. In a, in a future podcast, we're going to talk about how asset protection planning discourages litigation from the start because trial attorneys are really just after one thing. They're just after their contingency fees. They're after money. And if you have an asset protection plan in place, uh, it, you are a very unattractive target. So it's very unlikely that an attorney is going to file a lawsuit against you um, you know, from go, you know, the, the planning not only works in the face of litigation and when litigation is brought against you, but it also works as a systematic tool to dissuade litigation before it ever gets started, right? And so that's just a piece of it. Um, we're playing the game here, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're not just saying, well, this is only effective if you get sued and, and then it protects against a judgment against you. No, we want to stop the lawsuit in its tracks, and we want to stop it before it ever gets started. So the answer to the question as to whether or not asset protection is, is moral, in my opinion, the answer is yes. You're simply taking control, and you're simply making sure that you have some input into the judgments that are going to be rendered against you, that, that you have a say in what responsibility you owe to somebody who will have a claim against you. And we're not just limiting it to a very talented trial lawyer's ability to persuade a jury that you did something wrong. Because, guys, that is just about the riskiest thing that you could possibly do with your assets and with your life. So, again, I, I believe that asset protection is the moral choice. We choose to protect ourselves in lots of other contexts, Every time you get into a car, don't you put a seatbelt on? Well, yeah. Um, again, I mentioned this in podcast number one, but even Tony Robbins has come out and said there's too much litigation in this country. And asset protection is absolutely mandatory for anybody who's a producer. Because if you're a producer and you have deep pockets, you're also a target. So, uh, yes, I believe that asset protection is the moral choice.
So with that, let's talk about asset protection that you probably already have. And there are a few forms of this. Uh, if you have a 401k, for example, that asset is protected. Um, it's an ERISA plan. That's a, a federal law that basically exempts your assets inside of a 401k plan or another qualified plan from creditor claims. So if you're uh, a physician or an entrepreneur or a dentist and you get sued and you have $100,000 in your 401k, those assets will not be considered um, as assets that are available to satisfy a judgment. Okay. Other exempt assets include things like IRAs, life insurance policies, and annuities in some states. Okay, Exempt assets, except for ERISA plans, those are protected nationwide, um, except for ERISA plans, asset protection for exempt assets varies by state. In Florida, your homestead is absolutely exempt from creditor claims. Well, I say absolutely exempt. There are some exceptions to that, but by and large, your homestead is exempt from creditor claims. If you get sued for um, a business matter or you get sued for negligence or you get sued for malpractice, a home in Florida that you own and that is your primary residence is exempt from judgment. Other states protect things I mentioned before, life insurance. Okay, In Florida, for example, your life insurance is absolutely 100% protected. So is an IRA. Um, in a state like California, these things are only protected to the extent, you know, quote unquote, reasonably necessary for your support. That gives a judge a lot of latitude in being able to decide if your IRA should be used to satisfy a judgment that's been rendered against you. I've been told as a general matter in California that attorneys don't go after IRAs until the amount in them exceeds $250,000. For anything less than that, it's just not worth it. Um, other assets that can be exempt, I mentioned annuities and uh, life insurance contracts. Again, uh, in some states these are exempt, in other states they are not. This is all on a state-by-state -state basis. The other thing to keep in mind is in this area of exempt assets uh, applies equally to bankruptcy. So if you want to find out what assets are, are truly exempt assets in your state, I recommend that you Google something like, uh, you know, let's say you live in Wyoming, um, Wyoming bankruptcy exemptions or New York bankruptcy exemptions. And you're likely to find a pretty good list of assets that aren't includable in a bankruptcy estate. If the asset is not includable in a bankruptcy estate, it's almost certainly not includable against you outside of bankruptcy in the context of a lawsuit, okay? Um, those things work hand-in-hand. Hand. The exempt assets work hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, and I want to mention one other thing, too. Exempt assets are not always exempt. Okay, In a future podcast, we're going to talk about fraudulent transfers, and we're going to talk about fraudulent conversions. Really quickly, what a fraudulent conversion is, is you changing the nature of an asset from a non-exempt asset to an exempt asset. Okay, 
So, and, and if you make that change while you have a lawsuit pending against you, that's considered a fraudulent conversion. And it doesn't even have to be a lawsuit. It could be uh, just a claim out there, as we discussed in the last podcast. If you do that and you leave yourself essentially with no assets that are available to satisfy a judgment, then a court could come in and say, we're going to surcharge your exempt assets. So in this case, we are going to look at your IRA, or we are going to look at your 401k, and we're going to pull those assets out to satisfy this judgment because you did what's called a fraudulent conversion. So again, asset protection planning is very careful planning that is intended to avoid all of these pitfalls because there are pitfalls everywhere. So you just need to be really careful about your planning and it needs to be comprehensive and it needs to be put in place proactively, right? Before there's trouble on the horizon. That way we can make sure that things like exempt assets truly are exempt, that a court is not going to look at them. Because remember, an exempt asset is an asset that we can't move offshore. In another podcast in the future, we're going to talk about the reasons for including an offshore component to your asset protection plan. But your, your exempt assets, by and large, aren't going to be offshore assets. You know, your life insurance contract that you have is not going to be an offshore asset. You can move your 401k offshore. You can move your IRA offshore. Those things, you know, you can move the assets offshore, but they're still governed by U.S. law. We can't really completely detach them from the U.S. Again, some of you are probably shaking your head saying that's not entirely true. There is a lot of planning that can be done offshore with retirement funds. But by and large, uh, for purposes of this podcast, we just want to rely on domestic law, or we want to assume that we're going to be relying on domestic law to protect exempt assets. Okay? Again, a lot of really good protection comes from exempt assets. Another way to exempt your assets from, from a claim without really having to do much asset protection planning at all is, or without the use of business entities or trusts, as we discussed in, in the last podcast, is through the use of how you take title to your assets. If you're married and you live in a state that recognizes tenants by the entirety, well, that's a pretty decent form of asset protection. Tenants by the entirety just means that an asset is owned by a married couple in commune, so to speak, with their marriage. So it's only available to married couples and it's only available under specific state law. So again, check in your state to see if tenants by the entirety is a permissible form of ownership and if it gives you asset protection. If it does, you can protect assets from the claims of one member of the marriage, right? So if a husband gets sued and, and loses a huge judgment against him and all of the assets are titled as tenants by the entirety, well, those assets are off limits to the, to the judgment creditor. They can't be used to satisfy the lawsuit. They can't be used for, the, for purposes of paying off the liability. Now, this form of protection is obviously somewhat limited because if a divorce occurs or if the spouse who doesn't, um, if the spouse who's not liable happens to pass away, well, now the assets are no longer held in tenants by the entirety. Uh, tenants by the entirety only 
attaches during the term of the marriage. So as soon as the marriage terminates, whether it's by death or by divorce, uh, the asset protection goes away as well. So just one thing to keep in mind, but it is a form of protection that's available and that I've seen help a lot of people. So the next thing that we want to talk about in today's podcast is sort of a throwback to episode number one. And I want to talk specifically about the types of rights that we want to separate out in the course of asset protection planning. Just keep this in mind. Asset protection planning is the separation of ownership from control. We talked about the bundle of rights that um, applies in the context of property law. Well, one right that you have is the right to control your property. You can determine what happens with it, who's allowed to use it, when they're allowed to use it, who you're allowed to exclude from it. That's control. Ownership is the right to hold legal title. And we can separate ownership from control to effectively give you very good asset protection. How does this work? Well, we discussed it in the context of business entities, right? If you put assets inside of a limited liability company and that limited liability company has a manager, the manager controls what happens with the assets. The limited liability company itself holds legal title. So if you were to put cash into an LLC and you were to be the manager of the LLC, you still have control over it, but you don't have legal title to the cash. Um, this is very important. In the context of a trust, the legal title to assets held in a trust will be in the name of the trustee. But the beneficiary of the trust has the beneficial use of the assets. Okay? So uh, this is a very, very important concept to hammer home. If you have a, have a trust and you put a million dollars inside of the trust, the trustee will control that money. The trust, the interest that's earned or the investment returns that are earned on that million dollars will go to the benefit of the beneficiary. That could be you. It could be your children. It could be your spouse. We're going to talk in a, in a future episode about self-settled trusts. And a self-settled trust is one where you are the trust creator and you're also the trust beneficiary. So essentially what you do is you strip out some of the rights and then you retain the rights that you really want. Namely, the rights to use and control the assets. Well, actually, you will have limited control of the assets or unlimited control of the assets depending on whether or not you're facing a potentially catastrophic lawsuit. Okay, because it can change. We can set up a trust for you so that you have absolute control over it if there's no trouble on the horizon. But the day that trouble comes knocking on your door, we can say, okay, we're going to strip away some of the control from you, but we're still going to allow you to have the beneficial use of your assets. And by the way, this trust is set up so that it cannot be intercepted by a creditor of the beneficiary. The trust assets can only be used for the beneficiary's enjoyment and the beneficiary's benefit. They can't be used to benefit a third-party uh, judgment creditor or creditor of any kind for that matter. So 
again, the main thing to keep in mind and the main thing to remember is that we can separate ownership from control. And what we do is we want to put ownership into an entity, a business entity, or into a trust that will never do anything that could get it sued. Okay? Your asset protection entities are intended to sort of just sit there. We don't want them entering contracts. We don't want them operating a business. We don't want them doing anything that generates attention or that could cause a potential liability. Because the value in an asset protection entity is that it owns your assets. It, it owns the things that you want to protect. You still get to use those things. In the vast majority of cases, you still get to control those assets. But you don't own legal title to them anymore. And if you don't own legal title, legal title can't be taken away from you. Just a, you know... Uh, sort of a reminder of what we discussed in the last podcast, legal title is what plaintiff's attorneys are after. That's what they want in a lawsuit. That's what they're trying to get from you. So if you don't have it, you become what's called a judgment-proof debtor. And once you're judgment-proof, nobody wants to sue you. Nobody wants to come after you. It's too much of a hassle to try to bridge the gap between you and your asset protection entities so what happens is it discourages litigation before it ever gets off the ground, before anyone ever files a lawsuit against you. Or if a lawsuit is filed against you, it encourages the claimants to settle their claims on terms that are very favorable to you. In a lot of cases, we're talking about pennies on the dollar because it is just too much time, effort, and money that will be out of pocket for the plaintiffs to pursue you and at the end of that road, there's a very good chance that the plaintiff isn't going to get anything. So it's like you know, throwing money into a black hole and not knowing if you're ever going to get anything out of it. You're, you're setting up the incentives so that people uh, will want to settle their claims against you on terms that are very favorable to you. So uh, that's it, guys. That's all I want to discuss in this, in this podcast episode. I just want you to really keep in mind that all of asset protection is founded on this concept of separating ownership from control and making sure that ownership is with a, an entity that is absolutely protected, um, either by state law, by offshore law, or by federal law. So, for example, in the case of ERISA, 401k plans uh, being the best example of that. So, I want to thank you for uh, listening to episode number two of the Asset Protection Podcast. Again, my name is Wayne Patton. Uh, you can visit my website, which is www.mwpatton.com. That's M like Mike, W like Wayne, P-A-T-T-O-N.com. If you have any questions, I have a lot of information over there, or feel free to give me a call. Thanks again for tuning in. See you on episode three.